0: Welcome to the podcast series at the College of Education and Integrative Studies. My name is Jeff Pass. I'm the dean of the college, and we have as our guest today Dr. Rodney Hume-Dawson. Welcome, Rodney. Thank you. Uh, Rodney, uh, you are renowned as one of the most popular professors on campus, certainly in the College of Education and Integrative Studies, and your specialty is disability studies. Tell us how you got involved in that uh, area of study.
1: Well, actually, I would say that uh, I got involved As a result of my own personal stance, you know, I um, was diagnosed with poliomyelitis at the age of 18 months, and that would change me forever and and perhaps my family in terms of how, you know, I experienced the world. Um, And so when I was about 15 or 16 years of age, um, one of the people in the local community in Sierra Leone, where I originally came from.
0: Sierra Leone, which is the nation in
1: in, uh, West Africa. West Africa, yes. Yes. Um, Approached me and said that they were looking for someone who has a disability uh, to be in um, a national organization for the disabled, right? And if um, I would mind, (laughs) you know, uh, uh, representing uh, young people with disabilities in that group, Of course, I was so excited, went home, shared the news with my parents, and they encouraged me to be part of um, that. And so ever since, I was always involved in fighting for disability rights, you know, and... um, Making sure that people are aware of the challenges and all the problems that people with disabilities had in Sierra Leone, um, so I became an advocate, and and the more I got involved, the more I realized that there was need in the academy. And so when when I um, went into when I went into um, do my undergraduate uh, work in English. Uh, I continued to participate and uh, travel and be involved in conferences and uh, present papers. And the more I realized that I needed to learn more, I needed to study more. And so eventually, when I finished um, um, my undergraduate years, I decided that that was something I wanted to pursue in graduate school.
0: Okay. So uh, in the nation of Sierra Leone, what were
1: the... uh, services for uh, children with disabilities? You know, that's that's the unfortunate thing um, didn't pass. Uh, we've got one or two institutions. You know, I mean, unfortunately, where America was, probably in the 50s and 60s, when we think about people fighting for their rights, that's where a lot of these developing countries like Sierra Leone are. So most children with disabilities are institutionalized, right? Um, I remember- Taken away from their families, even? Yes, yes. They're taken away from their families. Even in my case, right, There were recommendations made to my mother um, when I was very young that perhaps it would be best for her to try this home called the Shesha home, where they had uh, quite a number of kids with polio. Um, But my mother, being the feisty and strong woman she was, said no. Um, So in schools, it's all almost nil. They they have very little... um, Uh, uh, things going on for kids with disabilities, Uh, even testing, right? I mean, it is something now they're beginning to look at, but there needs to be a lot of training, right? And a lot of, um, uh, to develop a lot of skills in that area. So it is a challenge, it's quite a challenge.
0: And is it part of the culture that disabilities are viewed in a particular way,
1: or is it a matter of economic development? Well, I would say it's both, Um, I would say it's both. But yes, culturally, um, disabled people still are seen as um, not being good enough, not being capable. Right. Um, But you were a very good student, right? Yes. 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 So that belied
0: that kind of assumption.
1: Absolutely. And uh, as a result, because in fact, there was a challenge, one of the uh, ableism um, that I experienced um, when it was time for me to go to school. there were one or two institutions that said no to me. I mean, obviously, with my um, family support, they were able eventually to get me into schools. But that changed the trajectory for other kids with polio because I went there and did well. And so it opened up opportunities for other children. As so you were a trailblazer. Well, <laughs> I wouldn't probably put it that way, but I, I, did. I was an example for a few other kids that came after me. Okay, so what were the circumstances
0: that brought you to the United
1: States? Well, uh, as you know, Ceylon had a civil conflict um, for 10 years. And, and this was something that had gone on even before the war actually escalated. Um, there were all kinds of economic um, challenges, um, problems with corruption and, and um, issues of leadership and things like that. And so that created a lot of mayhem, a lot of devastation. And when I was in college, um, about 19 years of age, the war had escalated and it came to Freetown, right? And so by the time I finished, I mean, they had taken over the capital city and one had to find a way on exit out. And luckily for me, my siblings had already moved here. And then, unfortunately, I lost my mom and then shortly after my dad passed away. So, um, even when I tried to um, get a job, you know, immediately after graduation, it was just difficult, number one, because of the war, and, and number two, because of people's perceptions about disability.
0: So you came to the United States and you entered a graduate program?
1: Uh, when I came, um, I quickly had to figure out how to survive, you know, like everybody else. I was a young 21-year-old at that time, and uh, my siblings had just started their own lives, just newlyweds, and, and so I had to figure out, well, I've got a degree. I can use it to do something. Uh, initially, I would always wanted to go into medicine, and and, and I think one of the reason w- why I was interested in medicine because I spent quite a long time in the hospital, um, surrounded by doctors and uh, therapists and experts, and I came to fall in love with um, with medicine. But obviously, when I came to the States, I mean, as a new immigrant with no money, no resources, I had to figure um, something else. And um, and so people advised me to, to go into teaching and that it would possibly be the way for me to eventually get my um, green card and citizenship. And eventually, that was what happened. Um, through teaching, I was able to um, get um, LAUSD to sponsor my green card, and, and now I'm a citizen of the United States. Um, But that's how I came into teaching. And I will tell you, you know, I fell in love with it and the kids fell in love with me and I don't see me doing anything else, you know, ever since Uh, teaching is my passion.
0: So it's like magic when uh, that happens and yes, people absolutely. can go their whole lives without experiencing it. So you're very blessed in that way. And you taught English, you say?
1: Yes. I taught English in uh, middle school in Huntington Park for two years and then moved on to high school. Um, I taught in about three high schools in for Los Angeles Unified School District. Mm-hmm. And then what brought you to Cal Poly Pomona? Uh, while I was um, at the last high school um, with LAUSD, uh, Fremont High, I got accepted into uh, the PhD program. I had applied. Um, and Chapman University had just started um, a disability studies program. And so I saw it and I said, oh, this is cool. That's actually what I want to have my PhD in. And, um, and and I applied, and I, I got in and started my PhD while I was there. And um, and then we had to move because then I had just gotten married while I was starting a PhD and was starting a young family. And um, we wanted to be close to a place where, you know, the kids would have space to play. Because in Los Angeles, um, homes are so expensive, as you know. Um, and eventually we moved to Beaumont. And in a couple of years, I left LAUSD and just focused on my PhD and then finished it. And towards the tail time of my PhD, that's when I applied um, for a position here as a lecturer in um, the Liberal Studies Department in the College of Education.
0: And as part of your uh, work at at, uh, that other university,
1: uh, what did you do for your dissertation? I eventually um, looked at... I did a phenomenological inquiry um, looking at the resilience of polio survivors. I wanted to study resilience, and then we were thinking, well, who would be my participants? And then my advisor said, well, Rodney, you had polio. I mean, why don't you choose polio survivors as your participants? And that's what I eventually did. And what did you
0: find about the resilience of polio survivors?
1: Well... Now, psychologically, when you think about resilience, right, um, resilience is about bouncing back, right? Or how do you cope soon after a trauma or challenges um, uh, that you've experienced? And I found out that first and foremost, you don't necessarily bounce back from a disability, from polio. I mean, when once you have a, a, a disease or polio, you are likely going to have that until you die. Um, but that uh, people find a way uh, to cope, right, um, with their with their challenges. And obviously, there are so many. Um, things that will help people cope with that challenges Um, obviously depending on the surrounding or the environment you are in depending on uh your economic status or your financial situation depending on um uh culture and attitudes all of that will help people cope so uh, coping is not just about the individual uh, particularly when you think about disability society is heavily involved with the coping as well. right? And
0: your field is disability studies. And a lot of people may not realize that that's a field of study in, and correct me if I have it wrong, it's the way society addresses the needs of people with disabilities. And much in the way that we can look at um, race uh, study, ethnic studies, race studies, People don't realize that uh, disability studies is uh, a legitimate field.
1: Uh-huh. Absolutely. Well, when you think, if you think of African American studies or women's studies, right, which is all about equality, right, and how you you help change um, the dynamics of, of um, people with disabilities. In the 60s, um, the way um, disability studies came about, um, while all of these uh, human rights, particularly civil rights, in the United States was taking place, um, people like Ed Roberts, this was this young, feisty gentleman who had polio like me, who had a challenge getting into UC Berkeley right? and so many other um, polio survivors at that time. Um, And so Ed Roberts, um, the mother, really stood firm and fought. And Ed was able to get um, in into UC Berkeley. But what they ended up doing, I mean, Ed Roberts had Bulba polio, which is, he was affected from, you know, his waist up, right. And oftentimes he would have to spend quite a lot of time in an iron lung, right, um, because he had breathing problems. And, and the the polio ended up um, killing a lot of his lungs, and um, and 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 they put Ed Roberts in like the two hundredth floor, you know, in this high building in um, at, the, at UC Berkeley, and he had all kinds of challenges moving back and forth, you know, on his wheelchair and stuff like that. They were they were these places were not accessible, and so young disabled people like Ed Roberts started forming little groups and coalitions here and there and saying, wait a minute, we're not the problem here, right? It's society that disables us, right? Because of lack of accessibility, because of lack of all the programs and their attitudes towards us. And and that would spring um, the uh, disability rights movement. And from that, people were beginning to make a connection, right, that in order for us to be taken seriously, we've got to look at this academically. We've got to do research, we've got to study it. And, 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 and that's how disability studies was born.
0: And I know disabilities, uh, the treatment of disabilities has come a long way uh, just in my life, uh, and it, c- it continues to get better, but what do you see as the uh, obstacles to uh, real uh, true access for people with disabilities?
1: Well, I think I think the number one problem, um, Dinpas, is attitudes. You know, that's still one of the biggest um, challenge. I mean, uh, unless people become accepting, right, and 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 people are willing to include, you know, the big word in special education is inclusion. Um, uh, it, it becomes a challenge. Let, let's take special education, for for instance. Even in today's age, right, general education teachers still fight, right, um, this notion of having... Um, especially if you've got a kid who is profoundly disabled in their classroom, citing all kinds of problems. Well, I am not equipped. I'm not fully um, skillful in this or or educated in this. Or um, this kid will affect some other kid's learning and, and so on and so forth. Um, and, and, and as a result of those attitudes, we're still... Um, having challenges. And then we yes, we, we have the laws and there are still places where we need to bring the laws into reality, right? Make like making campuses. Accessible, right? Um, even here at Cal Poly, I mean, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done in terms of making things accessible, and not just in terms of the environment, right? Because obviously, when people think about disability, the first person that comes to mind is someone like myself or someone on wheelchair, someone uses a cane. But you've got so many—you've got people who have mental disabilities, right? Um, and people with heart conditions, and, and so many other, and and and. And sometimes making accommodations for those people are even more difficult, you know, because the first thing that a lot of people would assume were were you are not disabled enough or you don't even have a disability because it's not visible. And, and, And so there is a challenge there.
0: Sure, and uh, our campus has an Office of Disabilities and students register for it and they make sure that students get the accommodations they need, they take extra steps. Uh, Are the same kinds of uh, services available for uh, lecturers like yourself?
1: Well, yes. I mean, if you if you do report it, um, yes. Although it's not as popular, I found out. Uh, and, and I think I have a feeling it, uh, people are afraid to report because of sometimes the consequences. I mean, they don't know what might happen if they do report that. Um, the other thing, uh, I was in a room the other day um, when one, I think it was the director of the DRC, presented that. While we've got some students who have that, you still have a number of students who don't know that they exist, so we need to do a better job to to make the wider campus community community know that there is a disability resource center. And then you've got students who just like um, lecturers or professors who don't report, even with all their challenges that they're having.
0: And a lot of uh, the problem is ignorance, that people don't really understand the disabilities uh, they they can't explain them or figure out how to make accommodations so the able bodied professors need help
1: too yes and they uh, need uh, training oh yes i uh, uh, definitely um the drc sometimes um conducts workshops you know um and there's another group here um Catherine Whitaker. I don't know if you've met her. Um, uh, I think she is an expert in technology and she works for um, the Department of Technology or something here. Um, she has, um, uh, I, I think, disability ally and um, they do a lot of workshops and activities throughout the school year uh, to make professors uh, aware that that you know this kind of thing exists on campus, and um, and sometimes um, Catherine has also worked with. Um, departments within colleges um, uh, to assist professors in making their coursework or their syllabus accessible for students and all of that. So
0: maybe this uh, podcast will get people to uh, contact her. Yes. Um, so when I became a teacher, I never had to take a single course in special education. We know that's different now. Uh, and you're you teach a lot about disabilities in your classes in uh, the Department of Liberal Studies. What do you teach?
1: Well, actually, um, when I arrived here about four years ago, um, Dr. Chavez Ruiz, the department chair, asked me to um, use one of the courses, uh, Liberal Studies 401, and and use that to teach my expertise. Right. And and so I had to um, create a new syllabus uh, that I called um, introduction to Disability Studies, which is really a, a, very, a very, very introductory course into um, what uh, the studies of disability is. And so um, we start off obviously with things like, um, what is disability? How is disability defined? And we look at the misconceptions that people have about disability. Um, uh, one time um, during a course that really struck some of my students, Um, I wrote on the board something like, disability is an ingenious way to live, right? Um, And it is an art. Discuss. Um, um, and, and, And it was quite interesting and fascinating at how students were able to figure out that it is definitely a way of art, because the fact that you are you live differently, and you have to maneuver this world or this earth differently. You've got to be artistic. You've got to be creative to be able to do that. And 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 um, so we look at that. We also look at how disability is very much connected um, or interconnected to a lot of all the other disciplines um, on campus. For example, we look at how disability is viewed in the media, right? Or how disability is viewed in literature. And oftentimes, characters with disabilities are viewed from a very negative light or fearful light, depending on on, on the culture at that time. Uh, Things are changing gradually, right, Uh, um, as more and more people with disabilities get involved. But that is very typical in a lot of writings and novels that existed in the past.
0: So how do your students respond
1: to uh, learning about disabilities today? Do you see them changing in their attitudes? I am very much so. I have had quite a number of students who in fact will come up to me and say, this is a course that needs to be taught throughout campus because you've really opened our eyes. We never saw it from that perspective. And one of the things that they come to realize is disability is a human phenomenon and that if we all live long enough, we're all likely going to experience disability. And that really strikes a 20-year-old. I mean, when you tell a 20-year-old that, wow, I mean, I always thought I was going to be like this and and perfect. And and, and then they begin to see, take it more seriously and, 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 and they become the advocates, you know, say, take this to another level. I even had students who actually wrote, you know, um, letters and say, you know, we need to take this across the board. We need to learn more about this, and so on and so forth.
0: So uh, you end up, you know, teaching a little bit about yourself. Do you bring in the fact of your uh, African descent as part of uh the discrimination and the uh, challenges that you face.
1: Oh yes, yes. Um, I I always do. I mean, I I always try to, to connect. Um, when I was taking a theories course um, as in my PhD program, I always identified myself first as a disabled person, and and I think it was because I'd grown up in a society, you know, where mm, we were all basically the same Africans, and, and 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 color was not an issue. But my um, theories professor challenged me to start looking at how race and disability, right, and class and all of that were all kind of connected. And, and, and it was fascinating at some of the research that I actually found that even at one time, when you think uh, think about slavery in America, right, how the, the way they were able to keep slavery going on was to say that these people had some kind of disability or some kind of something disease them, yeah. or something was wrong with them. And and so uh, you're able to make that kind of connection. And it's the same thing, you know, in, in many developing countries in, in Sierra Leone. Um, there were. There's so many instances of ableism that I experienced, whether it was, you know, in terms of um, getting myself into school, um, initially um, when I, I should start school, or some of the derogatory comments, or people just being naive and ignorant, or they would say stuff to me like that, um, you know, why even try? You're not going to be able to succeed. You know, I remember when it was time for me to go to college, people gave me all kinds of reasons why I should not go to go to college. And, 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 and the interesting thing that always bothers me um, is that they are making this assumption that because I've got physical limitations, that I also have an intellectual limitation, right? And so... Um, many times people who have physical disabilities are also viewed as intellectually um, disabled as well. Um but the the the, the 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 some of the greatest challenges in, in, in Africa obviously is um provision of some of the basic things. I mean, you've got a lot of people who are living in poverty. And so uh, it's even worse, you know, for anybody who is disabled because they're likely not going to be employed. Um, They're likely going to remain in abject poverty. And they become just this person that is seen as pitiable for the rest of their lives.
0: So it's uh, the uh, fulfilling hypotheses.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: yeah, so I'm glad you make uh, the students aware of that, um, and I guess some of them choose to become uh, special education teachers. Yes. Yeah. And uh, we have a, an outstanding program, a credentials program at Cal Poly Pomona uh, in preparing uh, students uh, to be teachers of children with disabilities, uh, but yet there's a shortage in that field. There's a constant turnover in that field. Uh, why do you
1: think that is? Well, um, number one, I, I, I one of the things I was looking at one of your um Podcasts, I think a few days ago, and um, in preparation for this, uh, not necessarily in preparation <laughs> for this, but it was um, something that struck me. I think you were talking about how you were changing, you know, the teacher preparation here on campus, and and one of the things that you talked about was that um, generally a lot of students who come in, you know, are not aware. Um, of how teaching could be a fun and lucrative and wonderful profession and And I think awareness is definitely one thing. Um, uh, people are also probably fearful. I mean, fear is one of the big challenges when you think about disability, and they they they, they make all these kinds of assumptions about children with disabilities and and then, um, uh sometimes uh it's the lack of um knowledge as well yeah. so we can prepare students to
0: be effective teachers, and therefore, I think they would be more likely to be successful. Mm-hmm. And our faculty uh, have really studied how to do that. So we're very proud to offer that. So a student who wanted to come to Cal Poly Pomona and was interested in disabilities can take liberal studies courses related to that, go on and get a credential in that, actually get a master's degree. So there are plenty of opportunities there. We like to think that you know, we're on a cutting edge here at Cal Poly Pomona. And uh, I think part of it is due to having great professors like you. So uh, thank you for being part of our team. And uh, we wish you well. I hope you'll come back again to talk to us at another podcast.
1: Thank you, Dr. Press.